When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Tuesday, February 15th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, uh, do you do you feel a little misty today? Does it is it is it is it getting you right here where uh, it's it's the fifteenth? It's the day that pitchers and catchers are due to report to spring training, uh, but that is not happening because of the lockout and the current uh, labor unrest in Major League Baseball. And it it doesn't look like the two sides are even close to getting back to the table right now. Uh, there was a proposal Saturday made by the league. The players have yet to respond to it, uh, and they haven't scheduled another meeting uh, it, based on the fact that they haven't responded to the, the the most recent proposal. Yeah, this is a sad day, Joe. I mean, I guess we've seen this coming, you know, from for the, for the last you know two or three weeks. We knew this day would come was coming, but this is a, this is always like a fun day, you know, February fifteenth. Pitchers and catchers report. You show up at the complex as a reporter. You know, you kind of, you know, looking around, there's nothing, no real, you know, organized workouts going on yet, you know, but you get to, you know, you get to see the players. Somebody has to tell you, I'm in the best shape of my life. You, you look who <laughs> comes in overweight, you know, who's, who's having visa problems. You know, we could, we could have seen Tito today of how he's, how he's getting around with, you know, following hip and toe surgery. We could have seen a uh, Bieber and Savali, how, how they look playing catch maybe. You know, it's it's just that that kind of unofficial beginning of the baseball season, and uh, instead we're dealing with the lockout and, and two sides that you know nobody likes. I mean, that that just you know <laughs> the only thing they do well is is create animosity toward themselves, and uh, they keep putting the game on the back burner, and it's uh, it's a shame. Yeah, I I think uh, the the real the only people who are losing out the most here are the fans who who don't get to sort of set their calendars and set their agendas and and look in you know you get like you said that that unofficial marker of okay baseball's on my mind and and what's going we're you know two months away from you know the, the or a month and a half away from the start of the you know the the, the first pitch and and it's it's really uh, it's sad, like you said, but the fact that they're not, uh, they're not even making it a, a priority or it doesn't seem like they're making it a priority to, to sort of get this done and, and preserve the season and, 
and, you know, and save regular season games at this point. Uh, it, it's just disheartening. It's it. And, and heck with the all-star game, the NBA all-star game coming to Cleveland this weekend, you know, it's going to be easy to forget about baseball. It's going to be easy to, there's going to be plenty of distraction for, for folks around here. And that's the worst possible thing for the guardians right now. Yeah, that's a great point, Joe. Cause usually, you know, when the Super Bowl ends, it's time for baseball, you know, but right. you know, Cleveland has a great young uh, Cavaliers team to, to watch. I mean, you know, you, they remind me, Joe, of uh, the 1995 uh, Indians, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they, they're brand new, you know, they're young, they're in, energetic. Uh, the fans haven't seen these guys a whole lot. They're just, you know, they're still developing and they've got so much talent that uh, it, it, you know, you, so it, there's something there and, and baseball is losing out to all this, you know, they're, they're sitting on the sidelines right now when it, when it should be, you know, kind of maybe the best time of the year to, for fans to get back into the game and learn their teams, learn their players, maybe take a trip to Tucson. I mean, uh, Arizona or Florida for a couple of days, get in the sun. And uh, instead, uh, you know, we're, we're burrowed in in Cleveland. And, and any sort of momentum with this name change and the rebranding for the organization is going, is going to go straight down the tubes. You know, the, the, the more that things get postponed and the less that, that fans are able to see these guys out on the field in this gear, you know, you know, talking about, you know, playing for the guardians. Now it's, it's going to be, you know, just very detrimental to the, uh, to the progress on this uh, name change and the, and the rebranding and everything. Uh, so we don't really have we don't really have much to talk about in terms of uh, updates on the negotiations. Uh, we did see a story by Jeff Passan uh, came out yesterday uh, talking about how part of the latest proposal included uh, the the league seeking a uh, the ability to make changes to the domestic reserve list. Now this is a uh, a, a part of uh, the you know baseball right now that that I didn't even know existed uh, until reading about it here. Uh, apparently, when Major League Baseball contracted those 42 minor league teams uh, last year and set the the parameters of how uh, each major league club runs its minor league operations, uh, they instituted a domestic reserve list, which is the roster for all of your minor league players. Uh, that, that play on the on the four teams that are uh, you know allowed by uh, by Major League Baseball for each franchise, and what the the proposal is seeking to do is to to cut as many as thirty players from that list of one hundred and eighty uh, within your organization, and there would still be allotments for your Dominican League teams. If you have you know one or two, you could have up to seventy players internationally on that. Uh, your, your rookies that play in the Arizona Rookie League wouldn't count against that list either. But this is part of the negotiations that I guess the, the Players Association is trying to fight uh, and, and has turned down as a proposal from the league uh, the last couple of times it's come up uh, that they've, they said, you know, that the league wants to be able to adjust either up or down that number of 180 players. Yeah, it's interesting, Joe. I mean, and like you said, uh, you know, this all came about when Major League Baseball's attempt to, you know, quote unquote, streamline the minor league system by, you know, cutting each team down to four full season minor league clubs. And uh, 
a comp, you know, one or two complex clubs, you know, uh, so, you know, now uh, they're trying to limit the, the number of players. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time understanding that, you know, I know they limited it to 180. Now they want to cut it further. And I don't know if that's, you know, is that to uh, uh, save money, obviously, uh, or is that to, uh, you know, you know, to just get the cream of the crop in each organization, you know, really to do a better job of whittling players down that can really help you. And uh, maybe that's limited roster sizes on the four full se full season minor league clubs. Well, and we've seen other attempts, like you said, to get higher quality players at each level throughout organizations. We've seen Major League Baseball also institute that draft league. Uh, you know, the, the, the Mahoning Valley scrappers were, were part of that major league uh, draft or major league, uh, you know, baseball's major league draft league that, uh, you know, players can go and showcase in that league prior to the draft. And, uh, and really there's the effort is there, I guess, in principle, I understand it. I understand why, you know, the players who are negotiating a few things on behalf of the minor league, it really, the, the players association doesn't, you know, speak for all those minor leaguers, but they do handle things like the draft and, uh, you know, they were sort of involved in this uh, contraction idea uh, back in 2020. So, uh, I, I mean, I suppose it could lead to better quality minor league baseball, but uh, you're, you're talking, you know, 30 players per organization could lose their jobs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know they're what they're in. Uh, the MLB has made themselves partners with the Pioneer, you know, the Pioneer League and and the Frontier League, where uh, the Crushers play. You know, uh, so you know, and maybe do those play? I guess those players go there and you know just try to latch on with a big league with a big league organization and play baseball there. You know, and but it's still uh, I don't know if you're helping the game that way. I guess maybe you're. Yeah you're refining the system, but it certainly doesn't seem like you're, you know, you're growing the game and trying to get as many people to play the game as, as you, as you want, you know, to de develop as many players as you want. Uh, the bottom line is, and scouting has been part of baseball for, you know, over a hundred years. So we know that if you're, if you're good enough, they're going to find you there. You're going to, you're going to get at least your shot. You know, nobody stays buried forever if you're playing for the Crushers or you're playing for any one of those, you know, Pioneer League or Minor League teams. So if you if you've got what it takes, you're going to you're going to get a shot at, at some point. Uh, you got to believe that. But uh, speaking of a guy that that got his shot, uh, we we talked yesterday as uh, as part of our top 25 most memorable uh, Cleveland baseball players about Kenny Lofton. Uh, we got some really good responses from subtexters who uh, shared their memories of Kenny Lofton. I uh, wanted to just read through uh, a few of them here uh, and, and, and give you guys a sense. Uh, again, if you wanna be part of subtext, uh, go ahead and log on cleveland.com slash subtext or uh, send a text to 216-298-4346. Uh, it's the best way to get uh, firsthand uh, news, breaking news, uh, insights from Hoinsie or myself throughout the season, once we get going, once we're in the clubhouse, we're going to see and, 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 and text what, uh, what we see and hear, and you'll know it first. Uh, here's a couple. Uh, Mike and Avon said uh, there were two players over the last 30 years 
who if I was watching baseball on TV, I would never get up and leave for whatever reason they, when they were at bat. One was Albert Bell and the second was Kenny Lofton. They were both highlights waiting to happen. A few years back, my son and I got our pictures taken with Kenny in an Akron Arrows game. He was friendly as could be. I informed him about the two-player business, and he seemed genuinely flattered. I also told him that if he had played his career with the Yankees or the Dodgers, and his he and his 299 batting average would have been a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame, and I defy anybody to prove me wrong. That's pretty good, yeah. I think, you know, players are made for different cities, Joe. You know, and, and the way, you know, I don't think any – Kenny played for just about everybody in the big leagues, but no, no city really embraced him like Cleveland did. And I think he was made to play here. Uh, this one from a, tech, a subtexter in the 216. Uh, he was so dynamic both on defense and offense. I loved his energy. Unfortunately, the player I remember the most was in the playoffs when he tried to beat out an infield hit at first and dove head first into the base only to injure his shoulder. We lost that game and it might have been uh, – I think it was against Boston. I think you were right. Yeah, it was what the 90, 98? Yeah, 96. No, uh, 99. 99. Uh, was it 99? Uh, it was either 98 or 99. I'm, I'm pretty sure one of those. Yeah, the ALDS game, right. game six, he got hurt in the fourth inning. I always right. thought Pedro stepped on him because he made the play at first base. It looked right. like Pedro uh, Martinez came over and covered first, and it looked like uh, he almost stepped on Kenny, but – Oh, yeah, he, Pedro had his own Pedro had his own issues going on in that game. He was he was supposed to be done for the season and, and came he back off the uh, he, he's the reason they, they lost the dead. Right. Uh, another one here too from the two one six. What an exciting player scoring from second on Randy Johnson's wild pitch in the playoffs to a leaping catch of Surhoff's fly long fly ball. Lofton was a human highlight film. His drag bunts were just as exciting. From uh, the Columbus area, this is Janice from Columbus. I always loved Kenny as a player, played hard, no drama that I could recall. Uh, my first trip to spring training and uh, arrived early and saw Kenny down in the field, walked down and took a picture of him from the side, called out his name, he looked up at me, uh, and I snapped a picture. I remember telling him he looked great, like he could play that day. He laughed, seemed like a great guy. I always thought he was. So there, like you said, uh, the, the connection with the fans and just his personality, I think, went over uh, went over real well. Uh, just a, a ton of great comments like that in our uh, uh, from our subtext subscribers. And it was uh, it was great to sort of, uh, you know, pour through those and, and add them to our our podcast post yesterday. That brings us to uh, today's top 25 most memorable Cleveland baseball players of the last uh, 38 years that Paul Hoynes has covered. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll do our little blind intro here and, and see if Hoynesy can, can discern who the, uh, the, the subject is today. Uh, born in Philadelphia in 1959, he was a seventh round pick of the Atlanta Braves out of Ventura College in Ventura, California. Uh, he was, he along with Brett Butler completed the 1983 trade for Len Barker that sent Barker to the Braves. Uh, and uh, this infielder uh, was part of that return. Uh, he came on and in uh, nine seasons with Cleveland, over 1,200 games, 
He had over 1,170 hits, uh, 120 home runs, and uh, he drove in four, uh, 524. Uh, he was a two-time All-Star, played uh, first, uh, third base and a little bit of first base, and, and really he, he was part of those, uh, those teams in the, the mid to late 80s that, that sort of had a lot of promise but didn't have a lot of wins, I, I believe. Uh, the year that the uh, the that he hit uh, what his career high in home runs 32 in 1987, uh, he only managed to drive in 69 runs uh, total with 32 home runs, which is kind of unheard of. Uh, Hoinsey, who are we talking about? Got to be Brooke Jacoby. That's uh, that, that's the man. I didn't realize Brooke was a California kid. Yeah, Brooke was uh, grew up in Ventura. Uh, you know, he, uh, he, he, he grew up in Ventura and, uh, Joe, this was like, this was like, uh, when you, when you picture like, you know, uh, a guy that just doesn't say anything and just does a job, a quiet guy that just goes out and plays third base every day, you know, doesn't say a peep, doesn't cause any trouble, doesn't, you know, no drama, just plays hard. And, uh, you know, does it day in and day out. That was Brooke Jacoby to me. And the only time uh, I remember the, the, the night of the trade when they made that deal for, uh, you know, trading Lenny Barker to the Braves. Gabe Paul was the uh, president. And I, I was trying to write the story and I, I, I couldn't get it confirmed. I called Gabe about midnight at his house. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he, he, he told me something was going on, but he didn't tell me that. He wouldn't give me the details. And, uh, you know, so I'm, you know, this is when I worked for uh, the News Herald. And, uh, you know, so I'm trying to write something. So I stayed up all night and I went to this drugstore where well, Terry Pluto was uh, covering the Indians for the mm -hmm. Plain Dealer then. And I got the early edition of the Plain Dealer to see what he had written. So I was, we were an afternoon paper, the, new, the News Herald. So I was able to kind of flesh it out, but... It was crazy. I remember that trade. It was it was nuts. That was my first year on the beat. I was going to say that it had to be like one of your first first days, you know, first seasons on the beat there, uh, first big trade really, and they and they trade away, you know, Len Barker, who was, you know, he was beloved in Cleveland after that perfect game and then in that time frame and that that period. Uh, so for Brett Butler and Brooke Jacoby to be uh, the guys coming back uh, to the team for that, uh, did. Were you surprised that Jacoby performed at the level that he did when he arrived in Cleveland? Yeah. You know, we, we, he was just a young player, you know, he'd spent like five years in the minors, you know, Butler was kind of established and uh, but, you know, re we really didn't know too much about Jacoby and it turned out to be, you know, really a good trade for, for Cleveland because uh, you know, Lenny was, was on his way down. You know, he had had that elbow problem. I think he had, he had to have elbow surgery with the Braves and, and was kind of on the backside of his uh, career, but, you know, Butler and, and Jacoby, you know, really helped the Indians. They really were two young players, you know, Butler took over in center field and, and Brooke uh, played, uh, played left field. I mean, uh, played third base. Yeah. What, uh, what made you pick, uh, you know, Brooke Jacoby as one of these, you know, top 25 most memorable players, what, what really stands out to him, you know, besides obviously, the, the quiet demeanor and the work ethic. Yeah. And I just, uh, you know, I it, it was always fun to talk to him because, 
you know, I, I once talked to him when he was on a hitting streak and then he went into the tank and he said, Hoynes, I'm never talking to you about hitting again. <laughs> and so I always was leery about talking to him, but he was the kind of guy, Joe, that, you know, he played every day. And then, you know, like at the end of the season, you know, you'd always, you know, you're, you're saying goodbye to guys and, and then you'd, you'd ask him how, you know, what, how he, how was he feeling? What was he looking forward to the off season? And it turned out, you know, he, he, he'd be getting shots in his knee for half the season. He'd wow. be in shots in his elbow and he never, he never said anything, you know, he never, he never complained. And uh, he was just, he, he played through, he played through a lot of pain. I think he just played through injuries and, uh, and you were right in 1987, that was his best season. And uh, the game that kind of stands out to me always is uh, there was a game on uh, in uh, against the White Sox on July 3rd at 1987. He mm-hmm. hit three home runs and he drove in three runs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If and, they lo- and they lost four to three. Is that, you know, that's, that would have been typical. And so in, in the bottom of the eighth inning, he hits, you know, he hits home run number three to give the Indians a nine, eight lead. Uh, oh, wow. And, and uh, you know, cap a uh, a six-run eighth inning. The White Sox come back and score six in the top of the ninth and win 14 to nine. So that's the kind those, of, and that's the that kind of season, team that was. That season, those were probably, you know, all the runs the uh, the Indians had for the week. They, they, they didn't uh, parse them out enough for the uh, the rest of the week and get, get shut out a couple of games. That, that, that really does sound like, uh, you know, the, it, it's frustrating. I remember, uh, you know, from watching from that era, he was his at bats were the ones that you sort of made sure you were paying attention to. Uh, it, obviously, Joe Carter, Corey Snyder, those guys, but uh, Brooke Jacoby always seemed to be the guy, you know, to to come through with a big hit when when they needed one. So, uh, I, I, you know, I was I was as much a fan of Brooke Jacoby at the time as I was, uh, you know, Corey Snyder, Joe Carter, any of those guys. Yeah, and I remember uh, he was playing third base against Oakland, and uh, you know, there were the people were kind of on him because he didn't he didn't dive a lot. He didn't dive at third base a whole lot. And so Canseco hits this rocket by by right at third base, kind of to his glove side, and mm-hmm. he dives. And he said, "As I dove, the ball is hooking right back into my head." And, oh. and, and he said. He said, like, I don't know if that was one of the reasons he didn't die, but he, you know, he almost got killed. So that, you know, but I, yeah, you know, it's a, that, like, probably then, not that then after not he ideal. retired, you know, he was a hitting coach for uh, Cincinnati mm-hmm. and then Toronto as well. And he, then this, this surprised me more than anything, Joe, in, in, uh, I think 2015, he got suspended for 14 days for uh, going, you know, reportedly going after an umpire after uh, after Toronto lost to uh, lost to uh, uh, Boston at, at Fenway, you know there was a there was a dis- there was a little disturbance in in the runway between uh, you know the home the visitors and the umpires kind of went to use the same tunnel, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the the umpire said you know Jacoby put his hands on a on one of the umpires and uh, Bill Miller was the umpire. Jacoby denied it, but uh, the 14, uh, 14 game uh, suspension held and Jacoby wow. released a statement saying, I'm never going to apologize 
this just never happened. And but it was it was That's, and that shocked me because I I never saw him get mad. I never saw him Yeah, because that, that really doesn't you know fit with the the image or the uh the the character of the the guy that we you know followed in the 80s in Cleveland. But but yeah, he did actually come back uh to Cleveland and and play at the end of his career, I believe the 1992 season, uh, he was was with Cleveland and uh, he was he was there backing up, uh, I believe Jim Tomey, uh, who was who was a rookie and was it was early in his career. But Man, he really Tomey didn't play hurt. much. Tomey yeah. hurt his wrist, and then he 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 ended up playing a lot a lot at third base. Played 120 games, so you gotta, yeah. you know, and and he was probably he was 32 years old at the time, so yeah, uh, he, just a. Uh, a guy who for the the vast majority of his playing career was in Cleveland and I think was was really em, embraced as sort of a you know not the head like you said not the headline guy on those mid to late 80s teams but certainly a, a guy who was an important part so uh good to good to sort of reminisce and, and talk about uh Brooks Kobe and his contributions here in, in Cleveland uh to uh to the baseball uh team here you gonna say yeah, I mean, and you look at those teams uh, offensively, you know, they had Butler, uh, Julio Franco, Andy Thornton, uh, Tabler, Jacoby, you know, they, they had some, you know, Corey Snyder was on that team. Uh, Joe Carter was, you know, played, was on that team. You know, Was, for, was Mel for, Hall on those teams too? Pardon me? Mel Hall, Tony Bernard, were they on those? Yeah, Mel Hall, yeah. Tony Bernard. That, that was a team that, you know, should have – I mean, I guess when you look at the body of work of all those players, you know, that, that, that should have been a little better than, than they, they were. But those guys were just those, a lot of those guys were young and just developing, too. So but right. that, that was a, that, on paper. That was a, that was a better offensive team than, than they really than, than that, that the I, I think well, maybe it deserves a, a deep dive. We go back and look at whatever happened to the 1987 Indians and and why they uh, why they couldn't score any runs. Oh, they were terrible pitcher team. They 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 couldn't pitch at all. I know that. I remember that. <laughs> maybe 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 the pitching side of it would be a, a better yeah. place to look. So, yeah, was, was Tito on those teams? Tito would. I think he was nineteen. He was eighty eight, wasn't maybe? he? Maybe. Yeah, Tito was eighty eight. Yeah, I think he was eighty eight or eighty seven. Yeah, uh, the uh, the names don't necessarily jump off the list as I'm looking at them. Uh, I think Jay Bell was a, a rookie though, on, on those teams. So interesting. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the Cleveland Baseball uh, Podcast. We'll be back again with another uh, memory of another Cleveland baseball legend here uh, on, on the show tomorrow. Uh, Lindsay, we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.